Well, we're continuing our series of sermons from the Psalms of Ascent, and uh, these are Psalms 120 to 134, and this has been a, a long series of sermons, if you haven't noticed. We are making the turn toward home today. Five sermons left to go. We've done ten and five left to go, and we are looking forward to a great conclusion to this series of sermons. It's been a long series, but that has been appropriate, and actually it's been fitting to the kind of teaching that we've been wanting to do over these weeks, because one of the things that we've been trying to get at in these sermons is the fact that discipleship does not happen overnight. Discipleship takes some time. Uh, the life of a disciple is, is not often filled with glitz and with glamour, with show and with um, excitement and hoopla. Rather, it's a life characterized simply by moving in one direction toward God for a long time. And, and continuing to make the decisions and move in that. There are no shortcuts to following Jesus. There are ups and downs. There are peaks and valleys. There are starts and stops in this journey. But there is, and let's just get this through our heads, there is no microwave discipleship. There's no, sorry Pat, there's no popcorn button, man. <laughs> sorry, it, uh, it just won't work. It takes time. And uh, just this week, I heard a couple of examples of, of things that take time in people's in, in everyday life. I was listening to one guy who was talking about, it's fitting that you should be here today, Jeffrey, who's talking about slow smoking ribs. Slow cooking, smoking those ribs. And, uh, and he was talking about how he, the process starts by going to the right meat market. And it's not just any rib you pick, but it's that rib, and I want those ribs, and those, and those. You get the right ribs, and then you get the right brine. I, I had to Google that, but uh, you, you get the salt water kind of thing going, and then you get the right barbecue rub on there, and you rub it down, and you let it sit, maybe even overnight, and let that marination just take place. And then you get your slow cooker, your green kettle thing, if you've seen those, and you set it to, you, you get it to 225 degrees, he said. And then you put those ribs in there, and you cook them for four hours. Four hours. I'm getting hungry just thinking about this stuff right now, and to imagine that you have to put it in there and wait four hours until you get to eat it. Jeffrey's saying longer. It needs longer than four hours. Some things just take time. Then I, I, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about cold brew coffee. I don't know if you've been hearing about this. It's kind of a, I like iced coffee. And, and so I'm thinking, well, I can make a cold brew of coffee. And there's a special technique to this. So I looked it up online again. And they, they showed how, uh, you know, watch the Cooking Channel video about this. And you have to get the right proportions depending on how caffeinated you want to be. 
of, uh, of coffee and water, and you stir those up, and, and you let it sit there for a little bit, and the coffee counter rises up, and you stir it again, and then you put plastic wrap on top of your container, and you set that aside for 24 hours. And then you pull it back after 24 hours, and you, you get your strainer and a heavy paper towel, and you just pour that brew over that, and and it filters out, and you have a wonderful iced coffee cold brew. If you want to sample mine, um, good luck, because I haven't done it yet. Because I'm thinking, I want iced coffee right now. I don't have 24 hours to wait for this. And so what do I do? I go to Starbucks, <laughs> where I can have their iced coffee cold brew. And this is what discipleship is like for so many of us. We want it now. We want instant discipleship. And there is no such thing. Via does not count, my friends, at Starbucks. I mean, this does not count. We, we want the real thing, right? And it doesn't come in a hurry. It takes some time. Uh, so we come to Psalm 130 this week. Uh, we have another lesson to learn. We've been learning great lessons in these psalms. I hope that you've been listening and learning from these psalms over these weeks. And uh, we have another lesson to learn, another lesson to relearn. Remember, these psalms were being, were being sung and chanted by the Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for their annual feasts. And they would sing these songs three times a year as they would come. And, and do, you think, I mean, do you think maybe they got tired of singing the same songs every time they came to Jerusalem? Well, maybe so. But they knew that they needed to do it because they needed to be reminded of who God was. They needed to be reminded of who they were. And they needed to be reminded of who God was making them to be. Amen. So I just kind of believe that as they came to Psalm 130, that they maybe uh, reached a little deeper and sung just a little louder. Because I think that this song had had definitely become theirs as a community. That they had owned it for sure. But not only as a community, I think even more so perhaps, there, were, there was a sense in which they had made this psalm theirs each as individuals. That the words of this psalm writer had, had become so powerfully applied to each of their lives as individual people and was having an impact on their individual lives of, of faith and journeys of faith. So I'm praying, as we listen to this psalm and read this psalm this morning, Psalm 130, that we will hear it as a community of faith and what it has to say to us as a body of people, but that we will also hear it very specifically for what it has to say to each of us as individual people. Let's stand together, can we, and read it? Um, the poetry of this prayer... Uh, I think really begs for it to be read responsively. So let's read it like that this morning. We'll just alternate every other verse, and each verse is on, the, on one screen. So I'll read the, the, uh, the print in bold, and then you can read the screens that are pr normal print. And we'll read it responsively. There's, there's basically four kind of couplets here that, that are just a beautiful reminder. Let's read responsibly. A pilgrim song. Help, God. The bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, 
Hear my cry for help. If you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshiping. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. O oh, Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, I love how this psalm starts. Help! Did you see it? Help. God, help. When was the last time you really cried for help? Yeah, this morning, right? Many of you have been crying for help. Lots has been going on. Maybe you, you cried out to a friend. You just needed some encouragement, some actual assistance with something. Maybe you, you, uh, you, you Googled something looking for an answer as I needed help figuring out how to cold brew my coffee. Maybe it was a cry to the help of a doctor. Our son had this nice little big infection on his arm this week, and we wondered what in the world is that, and so we took him to a doctor crying for help. Maybe some of you actually um, have heard or uttered just a literal cry for help. I was at Hurricane Harbor just a couple of weeks ago with uh, our youth group and Aaron, and we had a wonderful time. And uh, I was standing in line with a couple of our gals from our youth group who shall remain nameless. And, um, and it was, we were in line for Tornado, which is an awesome ride. And we were having a great time. But it was, the, 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 it's a very popular ride, so the long, line was very long. And the temperatures were rising. And one at a time, the two girls who were standing with me started to kind of lose their vision and... Lips started to turn a little white and uh, started to get a little woozy. And so I sent them off to get a drink of water and sit in the shade while yours truly held our place in line. And uh, it was a long line. After about 45 minutes, at least, of waiting in this line, I was just starting to get to the front of the line. And I think the girls were like, all right, we're almost there, standing over in the shade, sitting over in the shade. And uh, we were almost there. And, and out of the corner of my eye as I'm you know, just waiting for my turn, I see some commotion, and I turn my eye, and I see a, a girl who has fallen, just crumpled to the ground. She's, she's passed out. And, and another woman that was with her, I think it was maybe her mom, is just, and, and another guy, they're literally crying, help, somebody help, somebody help us. And strangely enough, in that setting, no one really moved too quickly to the lady. The worker who was there, he was like, uh, he didn't have a radio. I think they needed to have some issues there at Hurricane Harbor. But he ran by, and nobody else was doing anything. And strangely enough, even to myself, there was this, I hate to admit it, but there was this internal tug of war. Do I help the girl and maybe lose my place in line? 
tug of war didn't last long. I mean, okay, give me a break. But um, I went to help her. I knew that all she needed was some water and some shade, at least from my experience with my own, these other two girls were with me. I figured this was the deal. So I, you know, took my chances and went and knelt down, and they were still frantic, and I said, you know, the girls that were with me just had, the, and the, the young gal was getting her consciousness back, and I said, I think she probably just needs some water. The other gals that were with me fainted, and just get her some shade, and it was all right, and, and everything was okay. And then I got back in line, and I said, do not mess around with me. I'm getting back in line, and uh, we had a good time. Well, this psalm suggests that the cry of this psalm writer is, in fact, on, on a, a high degree of urgency. He is not uh, messing around. There is no time to waste. There are no other options to try for him at this point. This is, this is his last shot. You know how some people talk about, I've, I've hit my bottom? Well, if you saw the, the translation, the, the way that the message put it, Eugene Peterson said, the bottom has fallen out. He has not only hit his bottom, the bottom has fallen out. And this is, this is, this is he's come to the, the de- point of desperation. The NIV translates it, from the depths of despair, he's crying out. And the NLT, the New Living Translation says, from the, or actually NIV says from the depths, and NLT says from the depths of despair. Uh, Psalm 130 has, over the centuries, really been given a nickname. It's been called De Profundas, the, the Latin for from the depths. This is the De Profundas. From the depths, this psalm is, is spoken. This psalm is, is written. This is where the psalm writer finds himself. He's, he's here, ultimately, not because of some physical pain or some emotional suffering, He's here not because things haven't worked out for him in his life and maybe they haven't gone the way he thought that they would go. He's he's here not because he's simply disappointed or discouraged with life. These all might be symptoms and these things may have been happening to him, but, but these things have been brought on because of something that he knows more deeply in his soul. The reason he's here, the root cause of why he's here and will quickly discover by his own words that he's here because he's come face to face with the, uh, with the reality of his own sinfulness. He's, he's come face to face with the fact that he is a, a, a sinful man. Someone who has fallen short of the glory of God and, and lived a life that has been disobedient or made choices that have been contrary to what God would want for him. He'll say it in verse 4. If you have a Bible with you, he'll say it, or if you remember how, as we read, he'll say, if you, speaking to God, if you kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? And it's his own wrongdoings. I mean, just put yourself, and you can imagine the, the, the Jewish pilgrims putting themselves in his place. Put yourself there. It's these wrongdoings that are at the forefront of his thinking in his mind as he cries out to the Lord. He knows that his sin has not only put him in a bad spot and likely brought pain to those around him, but he also knows that his sin has been disappointing to God. And he knows not only has it been disappointing to God, but that his sin has been offensive to God. 
His choices have been offensive to the creator of all it is. And his heart is heavy, and you can hear it as he cries out, help. His heart's heavy with the weight of conviction, and it's crushed at his sense of inability to do anything about it. These are the words of a desperate man, a man who knows that the tally of sinfulness is not in his favor, of sinfulness and righteousness is not in his favor. And again, that he doesn't have anything in his power to change that. He's deserving of judgment. He's deserving of death. Now, I like this guy. I really don't want to like this guy, but I like this psalm writer. And I can imagine that even though the the Jewish pilgrims sang this psalm three times a year, over and over, year after year, they liked this psalm writer as well. They They didn't want to like him, but they liked him. They liked him, and we like him because he reminded them and he reminds us that sin is serious business. If you're taking notes this morning, just write that down. Sin is serious business. I don't mean to be a downer here this morning, but that's what the Bible tells us. And the reality is, is that too many Christians even today are living in a world where sin doesn't get talked about very often. Watch this video and uh, see what we can learn from it. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? Go to the next one. Can... Um, I I just uh I just think that this is kind of like sin in our lives sometimes. We don't we want to excuse it. We want to rationalize it. We, want to, we wonder, why is this happening in my life? Why, is thing, why are things so hard? Why is this difficult? To, you know, why the challenge? We, uh, we chalk up our sinful choices to poor self-esteem or the way we were raised or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And all those things maybe contribute a little bit to the choices that we're making, but we fail to 
to call it really what it is. It's sin. It's disobedience. It's self-centeredness. It's self-will. Some of us have gotten really good at compartmentalizing our sin. This is the old, what stays in Las Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality. And we compartmentalize our sin. So what happens at my house or what happens in my job or what happens when I go out with my friends, that's there. And what happens when I go to church on Sunday, well, that's there. And we compartmentalize our sin. Or, or we've learned to rationalize or make excuses for our sin, especially when we compare ourselves to people who aren't Christians. Why would we even do that? But, uh, or we compare ourselves even to other Christians. No doubt, some of us have even begin to understand or to think of our freedom in Christ to mean a freedom to live however we want to live. And in fact, some Christians in our day have started to almost suggest that the way that we can really demonstrate our freedom in Christ and the freedom that we have in His grace and in His love is by actually living just a little bit outside the boundaries that have been established for centuries for followers Oh, but I'm free. I don't need those boundaries. I don't need those restrictions. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Frankly, some of us have just been numbed to sin by the world in which we live. And our hearts have been so swayed by our culture that maybe like this gal, we just don't even recognize the sin in our lives. Psalm writer will have none of it. He says, De profundis, from the depths. The bottom has fallen out, and I am deeply aware of my own sinfulness. The difficulty with such confession is that sometimes it's quite painful to acknowledge the kind of person that we've been, the kind of things that we've done. It is not fun. It is not entertaining to admit that we have that we have wronged God, that we have offended the Creator, that we have damaged our own souls, that we have, again, shaken our fist in God's face, in a sense. It's not, it's not fun. It's difficult, this type of confession. The beauty of this kind of confession, though, is that it opens the floodgates to the majesty of God's forgiveness. Simply put, without a cry for help, there can be no promise and assurance of forgiveness. I love uh, how the message speaks of God here. He says, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. But without confession, again, there is no forgiveness. I love this idea. Forgiveness is your habit, as he's speaking of, of God. It's, in a sense, it's part of God's character. It's interwoven into God's being. His forgiveness flows from His mercy and from His love. It's His habit. Almost, catch this, it's almost as if He forgives without even thinking about it. But it's not that. Because the reality is that God thinks very carefully about our forgiveness. His forgiveness is offered freely, but not indifferently. This is no casual kind of flick of the wrist from the throne room 
of heaven. God is personally involved in this forgiveness. And he puts himself on the line every time that one of us experiences his forgiveness. We Christians like to speak of this idea in terms of the fact that it cost the father the life of his own dear son so that we could experience his forgiveness. This forgiveness is not granted so that we might think lightly of our sin or so that we might somehow feel license to sin, but it's given so that we might worship God with reverence and awe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer so famously has put it, he said, this, this grace, this forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. Psalm writer says, you're, you're, and so we worship you, and so we fear you. The, the hymn writer, uh, when I survey, find, concludes that hymn, and we say it with him, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, and my all. Well, what, as I read this psalm, and maybe the... the Pilgrims would wonder this as well, and maybe you are, I hope, at some level even wondering this this morning. What kind of God does this? What kind of God doesn't keep a record of offenses against him? What kind of God doesn't simply treat people as they are deserving of? Well, the answer is that he's a God who is unlike us, for sure. He's a God who doesn't really fit into any of our categories. He's a God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose ways are higher and different than our ways. He's a God who we can never know for sure just what he might do next in terms of his extensions of grace. And so with the psalm writer... We wait, and we watch. Did you hear that? Like, like sentries, like night watchmen, waiting for the sun to rise. And maybe some of you have been night watchmen, and you've known what it's like just to wait. Please, sun, come, come up. Come on. You can do it. Just like that, the psalm writer says, we, we wait and we watch, looking for what God will do. Now, scholars are not uh, clearly decided, completely convinced just exactly for what the psalm writer is waiting and watching in verses 5 and 6. Some suggest that he hasn't yet experienced the full forgiveness of God. He's, he's declared his, his, need, his cry for help. He's acknowledged that God is a God of forgiveness, but he hasn't yet received it fully himself. He hasn't yet experience the depth of God's cleansing and forgiving power. And so they, they say that he's waiting and he's watching, again, like the sentry for the sun, waiting for God to, to move and to bring that sense of full forgiveness into his heart and into his life. Others suggest actually that, that this psalm writer has in fact experienced the full forgiveness of God. In fact, it's because 
He has known the forgiveness of God, that he has cried out for help. He's declared God's forgiving power, and he's experienced it deeply, that now he can look forward in anticipation. They, they say that, that as long as there's sin in our lives, we're focused there, or we're looking in the past. And so with this sense of full forgiveness, he can look forward in anticipation now, waiting and watching for what God might do next in his life. And through his life. Well, again, as we've been saying throughout the summer, I'm, I'm just glad that the psalm does not make us choose which of these interpretations we might want to grab onto. In fact, it allows us to speak and to, and to attribute and to put this prayer into our own mouths this morning. The prayer is appropriate for all of us this morning. No matter if you're someone here this morning that's just feeling like you're about to collapse, like the bottom is about to fall out, or it has under the weight of sin on your shoulders. For those who find yourselves crying out from the depths, face to face with the seriousness of your own sin this morning, as the Holy Spirit convicts us of our hearts, with, with feelings like perhaps I've heard from many, like I've, I've done too much, I could never really be forgiven, God could never change me like that. God could never forgive me fully. The good news is for you that the sun is rising. The sun is rising. And you can be fully and freely forgiven. You no longer need to carry around the guilt and the pain of your sin. You no longer need to wear the shackles that have been on you as a result of your past choices. You can be forgiven, set free to live a life of worship and obedience. At the same time, for those of us here who may have experienced God's forgiveness at some point in a dramatic way, and we've experienced the depth of his, his grace and His forgiveness, you know that it remains available to you today. It remains accessible. I hope that you know that, that God never gives up on us. He never gets tired of His people coming and asking for forgiveness. Even within the, within the life of a believer, how, how shameful and how tragic it would be if believers somehow, again, excused or, or ignored their sins and failed to Come to God asking for his forgiveness in our hearts, in our lives. Maybe some of us here this morning just need a fresh helping of forgiveness in response to this psalm this morning. Just a fresh offer of the forgiveness of God. But perhaps as you wait on the Lord this morning, for some of us, perhaps as you watch for the movement of God in your life this morning, you may, want, you may find him actually wanting not only to forgive you of your sin, but for some of us here this morning, you may find God wanting to actually break the power of sin in your life. You may just find God wanting to so cleanse and purify your heart of, of sin and of disobedience and shove it out of the way. And so to replace that sin with a, a love for him and a love for others that you have never known before. 
that he would want to just transform your heart and your life in a whole new way. Filling you with his love and his purity, making no room for sin to take up residence again. It isn't anything that we do. It's all him. And so we wait and we watch and we hope. With the Lord, there's unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem us from all our sin. Well, the story is told of Martin Luther, the great reformer uh, of the 16th century. Uh, Martin Luther, if you don't know him, he was the great Protestant Reformation, uh, started a little movement that's become known as, anybody? Lutherans, thank you. And uh, just a... Uh, uh, Quite a, quite a man. But there's a story told of a night in 1530 when Martin Luther was being kind of plagued by what appeared to be four torches, that fiery torches that were coming into his room and just, just kind of plaguing him spiritually. And he was just, just all torn up about it and all just in bad shape. And uh, he, he, he fainted in result to this, in, as a result of this vision. And when he woke up, Martin Luther said to just have this horrible, piercing headache. There was not a nail in his head, but he had a piercing headache. And his servant who was with him tried whatever he could to, to try and soothe his pain. And he, he poured oil in his ears. Evidently, that was something they did in 1530. And he tried all sorts of other things uh, to help Martin Luther, but nothing seemed to help him. Finally, Martin Luther said, out of his pain and anguish, he said, will you read to me a portion of the book of Galatians? Try it next time you get a headache. I mean, who knew? Who thought? Just read a portion of the book of Galatians. And as his servant was reading a portion of Galatians, it said that Martin Luther actually fell asleep. Maybe that was the, the therapy that he needed. But he fell asleep, and when he awoke, his headache was gone. And he'd found re release and renewal. And, and new life. And he rose up, and he said to have spoken to his servant and, and others that were gathered there, he said, come, let's spite the devil. Let's sing the day profundus in four parts. Friends, when we acknowledge the depth of our sin. And when we cry out to and accept the forgiveness of God, we spite the devil. The one who would seek to keep us in bondage, who is very happy for us to be ridden with guilt and despair, we, we punch him in the nose. We kick sand in the face of this one who loves to see the shackles on our hands and loves to see us struggling with sin, loves to see us hurting and in pain, loves to tell us that we're no good, loves to tell us that we'll never be worthy, loves to tell us that God could never forgive anyone like that. We spite the devil. Every time we acknowledge our sin, and receive the gracious forgiveness of God. But not only do we spite the devil, my friends, 
I don't want to punch him in the nose and kick some sand. But we, we step out into a new world that is yet uh, unimagined. We, we step out into a new possibility that has not yet been experienced. We step out into a, a future that only the God who we watch and wait for knows for sure. But we know that with him, it is good. Bow your heads with me, would you? Just close your eyes. Love to just have uh, all of us just stay right where we are for a moment. And uh, nobody looking around, just our eyes closed. I, I'd, love, I'd love to just know this morning where we are here this morning. And maybe there are some here today who, who really are crying out for help because of the sin in your lives. You, you maybe the Spirit's been tapping on the door of your heart this morning and bringing to mind the fact that, uh, that there's just some things going on in your life, maybe have been for a long time, that, that you just need to acknowledge and deal with. And in so doing, open the floodgates for God's forgiveness to come into your heart and into your life. Maybe even for the very first time. We don't do this very often, but maybe there's some here this morning that have just been waiting. When do I get a chance to, to give my heart to Jesus? When do I get a chance to be forgiven my sins? If, if you're like that, would you just slip your hand up? I know everybody's eyes are down, eyes are closed, and heads are down. If you're like that, you just need to know God's forgiveness in a, in a powerful way today. Just slip your hand up. Thanks. Thanks. And put them down. Awesome. Several of you. There might be others here this morning again that are just saying, I, I've, I've known the forgiveness of God and I am so thankful for it and I am really ready for even something new. I'm ready for God to break the power of sin in my life. It's not something I know I can do on my own. It's not something that I could manipulate or ever make happen, but I, I'm trusting that in His grace God could do that. And so cleanse my heart and fill it with his love that the process of his transformation, his sanctification could begin even this morning in my life. Is there anybody like that that would just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me, Pastor James. That's me, God. Break the power of sin in my heart and in my life. Fill me with a love for you, God, and a love for others like I've never known before. Exclude sin with your love. See your hands. See your hands. Thank you so much. Thank you, I see it. You can put them down. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for these folks in particular who've raised their hands and for others who may not have raise their hands, but maybe feeling, again, the leading of your spirit. 
this morning. <clears throat> Again, maybe there's some here this morning and many who raise their hands that would just say, I, I feel the weight of my own sinfulness today. You've shown it to me today, God. I, I'm tired of excusing or rationalizing or compartmentalizing or ignoring. I'm tired of just being ignorant to it. I'm going to own up to it. And, and because I'm doing that, I'm opening the floodgates for your forgiveness to come in. God, I pray that, that there would be several here this morning, right now, that would just declare to you uh, their confession of their sin and their acceptance of your forgiveness. God, just do it, even right now. We thank you for your grace that... Uh, it doesn't take our sin lightly. It doesn't give us a license to sin, that's for sure. And as we receive your forgiveness, O Christ, and as these who have raised their hands in particular receive your forgiveness, may they be set free today, spiting the devil and stepping into a world of obedience and discipleship and worship like they've never known before. And others that are here today, God, who have raised their hand and have just said, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just tired of it, and I'm ready, oh God. I'm completely submitted and consecrated to you, and I'm ready for you to come in a fresh and powerful way and to break the power of sin in my heart and in my life. It will not be my master anymore. You will be, Lord Jesus. Purify me and cleanse my heart. Fill all of me that I know of with all of you that I can comprehend, sanctify me entirely, and pour out your grace, love excluding sin. Do it even right now, O oh God, in the hearts of these who have raised their hands and of others who are desperate for your power to be expressed in their lives even now. We love you. You're a God of grace, a God of justice, a God of forgiveness, a God who is sure to keep his promises, and we give you thanks. Amen.